This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me clearly? Okay, that's really good. It's uh, good to see all of you this morning. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we pray that you will help us as we get into the book of 1 John, that you give us attentiveness, full concentration, and most of all, uh, your Holy Spirit to understand what your word is saying so that we can apply it to our lives today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a friend uh, who is uh, in his 70s, and I saw him one day, he looked very sad. So I asked him what happened, and uh, reluctantly he told me about how he'd received a phone call uh, from his son, and his son was overseas at the time, and uh, apparently his son claimed that he'd been kidnapped, and he desperately needed money to be set free. Now since his friend was uh, overseas at the time, he couldn't get in contact with his son, so he panicked. And uh, he stayed on the phone, he went to the bank, and then he paid the money. I think it was something like about $50,000. Eventually, he found out that his son was actually safe, and it had been conned. Now, whenever he remembers what happens, remember, whenever he thinks about what happened, he feels uh, conflicting emotions. He feels very angry, he feels very confused, and he feels very sad. He feels very angry at the con man who conned him. He feels very confused at how he could fall for such a con, and he feels very sad because he lost uh, some of his retirement money. Now, I think we all can agree that that's a very sad, sad story. But I believe that uh, it's even more sad uh, when we hear of Christians who have been conned not of $50,000, but of their eternal life, their fellowship with God, and their forgiveness with Jesus Christ. Now, today, as we come to 1 John chapter 1, I think that is the situation that is in view. That is the context and the background of 1 John chapter 1. It's very similar to the situation today, and it's, very sim- it's exactly the same as the situation back then. So in chapter 2, it says, Dear children, this is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, and their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Who is the liar? It is a man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father, and the Son. And again in chapter 4, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So you can see that the situation back 2,000 years ago in 1 John is very similar to the situation that we face today. Right? There were false teachers, there were antichrists, and they were they were. Stealing, in a sense, people's salvation, stealing people's relationship from God. They were stealing people's eternal life. Now, once we understand the background, the context of 1 John, it helps us a bit more to understand what's happening then when we look at 1 John chapter 1. So we begin this morning by looking at the passage, and he says, This is what which, that which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, when you look at this passage, right, you notice that, it's, that John is very chonghei, right? Like, you know, he, he's very long-winded. He's repeating himself, you know, I've seen Jesus, I've heard Jesus, I've touched Jesus, I've seen Jesus, I've heard Jesus in my eyes, I've touched him, he appeared to us. Over and over again, he keeps emphasizing and highlighting how he's had a personal, long-term experience with Jesus. Now, why does he want us to know this? Why is it so important for John to communicate to the listener of his personal relationship with Jesus? Well, I think within the context and the background that we've already seen, it is important because he is saying that he has the authentic, genuine experience in Jesus and he brings to us the authentic and the true message of God's word. Because these antichrists, these false teachers by contrast, they are actually spiritual con men. And he's saying, look, you know, when you listen to the con men on the telephone, what should you do? You should put down the phone, right? You should turn your back to these spiritual con men. You should ignore them. And that's what Paul, sorry, no, that's what Paul, sorry. That's what John is saying here, right? John is saying, ignore these other false teachers because they are con men. Because only I have received the message from Jesus. Only I have had this personal experience with Jesus. So over the last few years, you know, I've been reading the news and you've been, you know, if you haven't experienced it already, there are many false websites, right? right there's the false police website. There's the false ISA immigration website. Uh, there, there are false apps. Okay, there are false bank uh, websites. And the same way, that's what John is really saying here, right? He is like the true website, okay? He's the genuine and authentic website. But there are all these fake websites and fake apps out there which are telling of a false gospel. They are speaking not of Christ, but they are of the anti-Christ. And I feel that even just from these first observations of this section, there's so much for us that we need to, to take on board. Because in the world that we live in today, there is a crisis of confidence of truth. Right? There's a crisis of confidence of what is real and false. Right? You know, it's like, what is real and what is fake news? And as Christians, all the more, we need to have confidence that when we read 1 John in the Bible, that it is real and authentic. And all the more, we need to watch out for the false teaching which is out there. So recently, I heard of a Christian pastor who claims he has visions from God. Right? He, he's been to heaven, and Jesus speaks to him directly. He's starting a church, and it's unbelievable because even evangelical Christians are following this person right? because he claims a special knowledge from God. Now, that's really interesting because uh, just a few weeks ago, I've been watching this thing on Netflix called Explain. Right? So it's like half an hour programs which just explain stuff. And one of the programs was explaining cults. And it was very interesting to me because one of the key characteristics of a cult is a charismatic leader 
And the charismatic leader claims of a special power, either special knowledge from God, offering you special protection from God. Sorry, not from God, special protection because of God. Right? He, he claims special access for you to God. So you become very dependent on this charismatic cult leader. But John is really saying, look, you don't have to turn to a cult leader. You don't need to turn to a charismatic leader. Because in the Bible, in 1 John, the apostles who've experienced, who've seen, who've touched, who've eaten and heard from Jesus, they give you the authentic word of God and that's all you need. You don't need people to give you this extra biblical information or which is really like a false website or a false app or a conman stealing away your salvation and your eternal life. And that's why if you actually turn to the Bible, Whenever you look at the gospel, uh, the next slide, the next slide, yep. Whenever you, you look at the apostles and you look at their interactions with Jesus, Jesus tells them, and they themselves admit, that they are not preachers, but rather they are eyewitnesses and they are witnessing for Jesus into the world. Now, the reality is you cannot be a witness to something that you've not seen, isn't it? To be a witness, you need to have experienced, touched, seen, and heard something. And that's exactly what the apostles and the people who wrote in the Bible said about their testimony. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Okay, so he's, he's, he's relating, Peter, of his own experience of the transfiguration. Again in Acts, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set for his, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when the apostles sought to replace Judas, the betrayer, what was the job requirement, right? What was the job experience necessary? Well, they said, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who has been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, from one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So right at the very beginning of the book of 1 John, John wants to make very clear in this climate of false teachers and antichrist and a crisis of confidence Listen to what I'm saying. I have the authentic truth. I am the one who've experienced Jesus. I am the real website, right? Don't listen to all these false websites. So what does he then go on to say about what he's learned about Jesus and God the Father through his personal experience of Jesus Christ? Well, really, he doesn't focus on the trivial things, right? He doesn't say if Jesus is tall or whether he's short, whether he's blonde, or whether he's, you know, he's got dark hair, whether he's got blue eyes or dark eyes. What does he say? 
He says that Jesus was from the beginning. Now, what does that really mean that Jesus was from the beginning? It means that he wasn't a created being. He was eternal. He was with God from the beginning. He says that Jesus is the word of life. And this word of life, he expands to mean eternal life, right? He doesn't, it's like, you know, the word of life doesn't just bring us life for the 90 years that we live or 80 years that we live. He brings us eternal life. And more than that, he says that Jesus is the son who is in fellowship with God the Father. Now, seems so basic, right? Seems so simple. Just three truths. Jesus is from the beginning. He's eternal. He is divine, right? Jesus has the word of eternal life. And Jesus, the Son, has fellowship with the Father. So if I were to turn this off, just turn it off for a second, Lynette. Can you remember the three, the three simple, basic truths? So what's the first thing? He's eternal from the beginning. He has the word of eternal life. The second one is? The Son has a relationship with God, the Father. Well done. <laughs> now, the sad, sad reality is many, many people cannot even remember these three simple, basic things about Jesus and God, the Father. So if you think of the Jehovah's Witness, right? Jehovah's Witness started 1,800 and 70 years after 1 John was written. It was started by this guy called, uh, he's all there, right? Charles Taze Russell. Now, the Jehovah's Witness, started by Charles Taze Russell, believe that Jesus, the next slide, is not God. And the reason why Jesus is not God is because he is created. And they also do not believe in the Trinity. Now, what would John say to Charles Taze Russell? John would say, look, 1,870 years later, what do you know about Jesus Christ? Did you meet Jesus Christ? Did you see Jesus Christ? Did you eat with Jesus Christ? Did Jesus Christ talk to you? 1,870 years later, what would Charles Taze Russell know that John didn't know when he met and talked with Jesus Christ? And yet, the sad, sad thing is, even this simple truth that John communicated in the first four verses of his epistle, that Jesus was from the beginning, he was divine and he wasn't created, the Jehovah's witness do not believe. And that's, the next slide, right? I think I put there, was it? No, okay, not whatever. Really. 20 million people are members of the Jehovah's Witness. That means there are 20 million people who believe in a spiritual con man rather than someone who actually met and experienced Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus is a created being and he's not from the beginning. But even today, um, there is this church, uh, the next slide, called the World Mission Society Church of God. Do you know they're, they're very expanding very fast. Some of you may have met them. In fact, when we went to Da Nang, uh, we even heard that uh, this church is in Da Nang in Vietnam. Right? Now, it started in Korea. It's now in America. 
uh, it's gone to the next slide. In Sid there's even gone to Sydney and in Australia, and, and now it's going from Sydney to the, the, the Pacific Islands. And what do they believe in? Uh, they believe in God, the mother. Right? So you, you may have, there's some people in our church who have actually been evangelized by this church at the MRT station, right? But yet, you ask yourself, how can you believe in God, the mother? I mean, I mean, like, it's, it's like, it makes you speechless, right? Because it's, it's so clear from the Bible that it's God, the father, and it's, it's, it's so clear in so many places apart from 1 John. But yet, Apparently, this church has 7,000 churches around the world. So it just shows you how sad and tragic and pathetic it is that Christians around the world don't even know the basics of the Christian faith given to us by the apostles, that they can believe in a church which teaches God the Mother. So I hope that uh, if you ever meet any missionaries uh, from... Uh, I, actually, I, I don't really know the name of the church. I just know them as God the Mother Church, right? If you meet anybody from the God, the Mother Church, please, please, okay, maybe you can teach them that actually God is the Father and Jesus is the Son and, and please don't go to their church, okay? Whatever you do. Now the passage then goes on in chapter 1 verse 5 and it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, you notice that actually uh, John, as we go through the book of 1 John, has a real interest in systematic theology, the doctrine of God. Right? He always looks at who is Jesus like, what is Jesus like, what is God like, and what are the implications for us today. So we really know that Jesus is eternal. Jesus has the word of eternal uh, life. Jesus is the son in relationship with God the Father. So here, what is the other thing that we know about God? We know that God is light. In fact, he is so full of light, it says there, that there is no darkness in him at all. Now, here, John is using imagery, right? Metaphor. It's not as if we're saying that God is this big light bulb or God is the sun, but he's using images of good and evil, righteousness and wickedness, right? So what he's really saying is God is full of goodness, righteousness, uprightness, and holiness, and there is no darkness in him. That means within himself, within his very being, there is no evil, there is no wickedness, there is no wrong. So if God is light and there is no darkness in him, then it makes sense that if we, have, if we come into fellowship with him, if we have a relationship with this light God, then we ourselves must walk in the light Right, so uh, I used to have a, a relative of mine who was a, who was a smoker. Right? Then there was another relative who hates smoke. When the guy is smoking, they can't have a relationship, right? Because, you know, one is an anti-smoker and one is a smoker. So if God is light, then we are living and walking in darkness. We can't have a relationship with God. 
We can't walk in darkness and claim to have fellowship with the light. And that's exactly what it says here, isn't it? Because when you look at this passage, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Now that makes a lot of sense. Because the logic is, if God is this pure light of goodness and righteousness and uprightness, and we have a pattern of life where we walk in darkness repeatedly, over and over again, unrepentantly, and that is the reflection and quality of our life, then the two cannot have a relationship. The two cannot have fellowship. Now, I remember once um, I, uh, uh, when I was in theological college, we had a visiting African pastor come to visit us. And it was very, it was very interesting because after about 10 minutes, he said, I can't preach like this. You all are not responding to me. Right? He says, you know, in Africa, when I preach, the congregation says, Amen. Right? Hallelujah. So then, you know, so if I say to you, God is light, we must walk in the light. What do you all to say? Amen. Amen. Okay, that's right. <laughs> now, now that you've said Amen, right? In the ESV, right? Uh, next slide. Is it the ESV thing? Yep. When we claim and we say with our voice, Amen. God is light, we must walk in the light. Then if you do not walk in the light, then what are you? The Bible says, you're a liar. Right? So maybe we shouldn't be so fast and saying amen, right? But the Bible says that you are a liar. Because what really counts in the end, if God is light, is not whether you say with your mouth and acknowledge the truths of holy living, and godly living and walking in light is whether you actually walk in the light. So it doesn't matter if you come to church. It doesn't matter if you go to the Bible study and you say the right answers. It is whether your walk, your action, corresponds to walking in the light. See, you notice the contrast here in the ESV? Because I think the ESV brings it out clearer, right? You say you have fellowship, but you do not walk in the light. There's no action so I remember uh, last week, uh, Rory Bell came to speak at our uh, children's church um, ministry, and he stayed with uh, me for a couple of days. So you know, Rory is from South Africa, so he, you know, he, South Africans, they, they, they tell it as it is, lah, okay? They're quite in-your-face people, and he's quite a big guy. Anyway, he was sharing, you can tell he's quite in-your-face, right? So he was telling me about how in his church in England, there was this uh, young man who was living in unrepentant sin. Uh, he was walking in the dark. The pattern of his life was darkness. So he had been uh, disciplined in his church. He'd been, you know, Rory had given him the hard word and he had left his church and gone to another church. So many, many uh, months later, he bumped into Rory in the street. And then Rory said, uh, you know, he said to Rory, how are you going, mate? You know, and he said, oh, you know, I've gone to another church. And then Rory gave him the hard word again. And he said, look, don't you understand how serious this is? It doesn't matter if you've gone to another church. If you still walk in the darkness, you are not a Christian. You have no fellowship with God. You are still not saved. 
And I think that's the issue here, isn't it? It is the Bible is trying to tell the listener, if you say you have fellowship with God, but you walk in the darkness, then you're living a lie. What you need to do is not move on to another church, but you need to move out of the darkness into the light. You need to move into the light and stay in the light as a pattern of life. Because it's very easy these days uh, to move to different churches. You know, there are lots of different churches in Singapore. And you can go to any church which will accept the lifestyle that you live uh, today. There are all sorts of churches in Singapore. But the passage says very clearly, right? God is light. There is no darkness in Him. Walk in the light. If you want to have fellowship with God, the pattern of your life must be walking in the light. But the passage then goes on to say something that almost seems a bit opposite, isn't it? So in verse 8, it says, We claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, here, John then says that walking in the light does not mean perfection. It doesn't mean a perfect sinless life, life because we will make mistakes, we will lapse, we will slip up, and we will fall into sin. Uh, Notice here, right? We want to make the distinction. You are walking in the light and you fall into the darkness, but you come back into the light. Uh, Some people are walking in the darkness and they fall into the light, right? Then they they pick themselves back up and they walk in the darkness. So this is different. You're walking in the light and you fall into the darkness and you pick yourself up again and you walk in the light. Now, you might kind of ask yourself this question. Why is this here? Why does... Why does John make such a big deal of of walking in the light, but then now acknowledging and confessing your sin? Now, I want you to notice very clearly, okay, this is not John's word, okay? In verse 3, this is the message we heard from Jesus and declared to you. So this is not John making up his own theories. This is Jesus basically saying, as much as we walk in the light, we will never be perfect, now, we know that the Christian life, uh, this slide, is basically three things, right? So far, that, that uh, Jesus tells John, walk in the light, acknowledge our sin, and confess our sin. I think that for religious people, if we've come to church for many years, the great temptation for us is to think that we are actually pretty good people. But that is a mistake, It is actually a doctrinal and theological mistake because it diminishes God's light. You know, we think, well, God is light up here. There's no darkness, but I'm down here. But somehow we try to bring the distance between God's light and my light closer together. And the only way that happens is we say that actually God's light is not really that bright. Or we say that actually my light is actually a lot brighter than it really is. 
And both of those are mistakes, isn't it? Because compared to God's perfect light, where there is no darkness, how can I compare my own light where in my own mind and in my own heart, I think bad thoughts and I have wrong emotions? Now that's why in Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus tells this story, right? The next slide. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee is a very super religious person. Right? He follows the law very strictly. The tax collector is seen as a sinner because right? you know, he's working for the Romans. He's you know, involved a lot of money. A lot of corruption can be involved. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breath and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now we can be like the Pharisee. We think we come to church every week, we go to Bible study, we have lots of Bible knowledge, we are living good middle class lives. But really, when you compare ourselves with God is light, in Him there is no darkness. Our walk in the light is really pretty lousy. You, know? you think of all the bad thoughts that you've been tempted with in your mind, in your heart, all the evil emotions that you have. And actually the reality is when you put yourself next to God, you realize just how, how poor you really are. And that's why we need to acknowledge our sins and confess our sins. Now, it's not just the Pharisees, you know, who have this problem of super-righteousness, who think that they're super-religious and perfect. Uh, I was reading this book uh, recently uh, called Introducing uh, Major Theologians. And um, it reminded me of how badly I must have done in my exams in theological college because I, I forgot a lot of the things that were there. But there is this document called the Didache. Okay? It was written 100 years after Jesus. And... It was really interesting because, you know, it's such an early document. It's written by early Christians, the early Christian fathers, the church fathers. But the surprising thing in the Didache, 100 years after Jesus came, right, was that it was all about religious rules and regulations and ethics and morality, but hardly anything about Jesus and forgiveness. So this is what the commentator or the, the, the writer wrote. Okay, He wrote, what is both striking and disturbing is that there is nothing explicitly Christian in that entire section of ethical instruction. Justification and the gospel of grace are poignantly absent, leaving the impression of a life that knows far more of legalism than freedom. It serves as a powerful affirmation of the Apostle Paul's point that people turn with astonishing speed from the grace of Christ to another gospel. And I think that's very true, right? It's not just the Pharisees. In each of us is this, is this seed of self-righteousness. We think we are very good people. You know, we think we are, we are 
you know, God should be thankful that we are coming to heaven to join Him, right? You know, if people could only see how good I am, you know, they would, they would, they would make a movie about me, right? It's like, but in reality, compared to, to God's light, we are nothing. And that's why we need to acknowledge our sins and confess our sins before God. But the last part of this section is a very positive part. Right? It's full of assurance, confidence, and joy. See, it says there at the last part in chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, what it's saying here is that really, in the next slide, sin is this barrier between our relationship as sinners with a holy God right, who's spiritually clean. Right, we, you know, we can't break through this barrier. We can't, we can't get through this barrier to have a relationship with God. It is only because Jesus dies and is an atoning sacrifice, right? The idea of atonement, the idea of paying for our sin, that, that this wall of, and this barrier between ourselves and God can be removed so that we can come back into a relationship with God. Okay, so the next slide, I think. Oh, okay, uh, next one. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's only through the cross that we can go through that barrier to have a relationship with God. So every time we sin, that wall is erected again. But then we know that as we acknowledge our sin and confess our sin, that wall is broken again and we come back to a relationship with God. And that happens over and over again. But that last verse, oh, I'll go back one slide, is so powerful and it's so affirming, right? Because the death of Jesus as our atoning sacrifice is, is not enough just for one of my sins or 10 of my sins or 100 of my sins. It, it is enough for the unlimited sins of the whole world. So given the unlimited resource of Jesus' atoning sacrifice for us, then all the more we should freely and confidently and often come to God and acknowledge our sins and confess our sins to Him because Jesus died on the cross to give us an atoning sacrifice that forever allows us to have a relationship with God. But it really depends on us, isn't it? To have the awareness and the understanding of who we really are, that we are terrible sinners and we need the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Again, I was uh, struck reading a book a, a while ago by this guy and he, he asked the question, how do you not drown? Right? What is the secret of not drowning? And he made a statement, he said, the strongest swimmers drown. So the secret of drowning is not to swim better, he said. The secret of drowning, of not drowning, is to know your limitations, right? Because that's really the secret of not drowning, right? Because if you can't swim, then you won't drive, you stay on the shore. Right? If you don't swim very well, then you only go up to your waist level or your knee height. And if you swim better, you can stay out, but you don't stay out forever, right? You only stay out for like half an hour the most. So the secret of not drowning is to know your limitations, in the same way, what this passage is saying here is, know your limitations. You can walk in the light, but until we go to heaven and we're perfected and completely sanctified, we will be sinning. 
we will not be sinning as much as we did yesterday, today, and we may not be sinning as much next year as we are today, but we will still sin. And we will still sin until our last dying breath. And that's why we need to acknowledge God, sorry, acknowledge our sins and confess our sins because Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice, not just for me, but for the whole world. So in conclusion, uh, one of my earliest pastors, this guy, Philip Jensen, I always remember this uh, diagram that he created a long time ago. I think it's from another book of the Bible. But he said, you know, there are two sorts of different sorts of people in this world, two different sorts of Christians, and two different sorts of false teaching. You know, he says, look, there's some people, and, and, and this happens in Singapore all the time, right, who are hyper-grace, right? They, they believe that God's grace is all about just me lying back in my... Uh, in my deck chair. I don't have to work hard at being walking in the light. I can get angry whenever I feel like it. I can lust. I can uh, look at porn. I can uh, you know, lie and, and, and gossip and slander. But, but you know, hyper grace. In God's grace, God is going to forgive all of that and I'll, you know, I'll, be, in the, I'll be in heaven. Uh, you know, one of the mega churches says we live in the prison of grace. You know, we, we are in the prison of grace. We can't escape grace. Whatever we do, we are in this grace and God will always forgive us. But John says, John who's met Jesus and experienced Jesus and gives us a message from Jesus says that's, that's untrue. Right? You have no fellowship with God if you do not walk in the light. Some, some people are tempted by hyper good works. Right? You know, they think that they can work their way to God by, by just keep doing good and perfecting themselves. Well, this passage tells us, know yourself, know your limitations, be aware, or like uh, the language of uh, today, be woke, right? Be aware of what's happening, that we are wretched and pathetic sinners to the day that we die. And we need to keep acknowledging and confessing our sins because as much as we try, we will not reach the level of God's lightness. So as we come to this passage, I really hope that as we just look at the first 12 verses here of the book of 1 John, that you can see how important it is that in our Christian walk, we walk in the light. But at the same time, we acknowledge our sinfulness and confess our sins. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that truly we will Look at our lives honestly. That we will see from 1 John that your character and the character of Jesus, who you really are and who Jesus really is, determines our response to you. Because you are light and there is no darkness in you. We pray that you may teach us to walk in the light. If we are not walking in the light today, if we are walking in the darkness Dear Father, correct and rebuke us through the Holy Spirit. Help us to repent. Help us to turn away. Help us not to believe the lies of people who say that your grace is extending even to people who completely reject your light and who unrepentantly walk in the darkness. Dear Father, at the same time, help us to acknowledge that Jesus Christ came into the world as an atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins. 
Dear Father, help us to see that truly we are sinners to the very core, even as we go about walking in the light. In our thinking, in our hearts, if we are completely honest, we know that, that many times if we would just pause for a moment and reflect, we are really sinning. Uh, the bad thoughts are there. Uh, the bad emotions uh, are there. Dear Father, help us to acknowledge those sins, those actions, those feelings, those thoughts, and help us to confess our sins before you. Because we know that you are such a gracious God, that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient not just for ourselves, but for the whole world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.